welcome to another episode of Quest Diagnostics Dialogues. Here we present discussions with experts in diagnostics and specialty medicine designed to keep you up to date with the hottest clinical topics. Tune in to hear Dr. Damien, a.k.a. Pat Alasia, Senior Medical Director for Quest Diagnostics, interview a variety of medical luminaries to get their take on some of the complex challenges faced by hospitals and health systems. Please note the terms overuse, misuse, underuse, overutilization, underutilization, unnecessary, etc. refers to testing ordered for a patient whose symptoms and or condition may not support the need for the testing under generally accepted third-party clinical guidelines. Quest Diagnostics identification of potential unnecessary testing is intended as a guide to assist providers in identifying potentially problematic ordering patterns and is not intended to replace a treating provider's medical judgment based upon the evaluation of the patient. Hello, this is Pat Alager from Quest Diagnostics. Have you ever wanted to know more about analytics in healthcare or the value of lab stewardship in clinical decision-making and better understand how to incorporate these technologies into your health systems? Well, if so, then you've come to the right place because over the next 20 minutes or so, you're gonna hear from two experts in the fields of bioinformatics and lab stewardship. Dr. Rahan Wahid is the Chief Clinical Information Officer at Quest, who prior to coming to Quest, held a leadership role uh, in the Cerner Corporation and also was a practicing internist. We will also hear from Dr. Lee Hilborn, who is a professor of pathology and laboratory medicine at UCLA and the former president of the American Society for Clinical Pathology. Dr. Hilborn was an early pioneer in laboratory stewardship and continues to be an active leader in the Choosing Wisely campaign. Welcome to the show, gentlemen. Let's dive in and have a conversation about the strategic relationship between patient care and data, or in your vernacular, bioinformatics and lab stewardship. Rahan, you're the Senior Medical Director and the Chief Medical Information Officer at Quest Diagnostics. Would you tell the audience a little bit about the work you're doing at Quest and highlight that with issues of why is this important? How can you use predictive analytics, personalized medicine, and population health? And how does that all weave into bioinformatics? And then who benefits from this work? So let's start off with that question. What are you doing at Quest and why is this a big deal? For those that don't know, Quest is a really large diagnostics entity that provides services all across this country. And we've got partners actually globally. So we've got a phenomenal footprint when it comes to diagnostics. And some individuals might see us as a company that provides them results when it comes to tests. There's actually a lot more that we do beyond those test results. And that's where kind of my role comes in is thinking, what else can we offer in the sense when it comes to value to our clients and the populations that we serve? Now, if you look at my career, you know, a lot of it early on in training was individual care. I, as a clinician, providing one-on-one care. And then throughout my training, this concept of population health started coming out where we started saying, hey, is there a way to really think about groups of people rather than individually? And then how can we create systems? How can we create processes to better support and improve outcomes in the lives of these groups that exist today? And, and as you can probably guess, that requires a ton of data. 
data is a starting point, but data alone doesn't give you the wisdom or the insights by itself. It usually requires some expertise to go and analyze the data to determine some insights, which then can be actionable to be able to go do something to move the needle from an outcomes perspective. So, you know, I'm, I'm kind of taking the scenic route here. Hopefully you don't mind. Uh, but, you know, a lot of the work that, uh, you know, I'm involved with and, and the team that I work very closely is involved in uh, is really looking at the data that Quest has broadly uh, with our clients and trying to say, what else can we do? How can we help you think strategically about leveraging this data to improve the outcomes of, for example, health balance members or a particular health system and the individuals that are part of their ACO or other plans? Maybe it's about really rethinking how clinical trials are done and how we can better do outreach to let more people know that if you've got a rare disease, you might have an opportunity to participate where today they might not have that opportunity. Or working with public health entities to give them additional information or insights into what's happening in the communities that they're responsible for so that way they can take earlier intervention. So a lot of this is data-driven. There's a lot of analysis or data science work involved after that to, to understand where things are today, but also where things are going, where there are gaps in care. So when you're talking about the data, yeah, how much data does Quest have? And how do you use that? I mean, we talk about data lakes. We talk about prioritizing the data, using it strategically. This is all new to so many people. How does Quest use that data to better assist patient care in health systems? So if you look at the, the data points that we have and Whenever you're hearing this, this number is going to be off because it's going to be way greater than what I'm telling you. But we're over, I think it was last I checked, 55 billion different data points um, that we have within our data set that allow our data scientists to go in, query that data to determine what's occurring, whether it's a health system or a health plan or another partner of ours that we're working with to determine where there might be an opportunity. You know, if we're thinking about it contextually, there's, for example, you might have a diabetic population and you're trying to say, okay, in this particular population, have they received all the care that they're supposed to? Whether it's, hey, are they getting their A1Cs appropriately being done in, in the right frequency if it's abnormal? And if it's normal, are we making sure we tailor that back down to the appropriate guidelines? What about when it comes to testing, when we think about from a diagnostic cascade perspective? Are we treating every patient we see in the ambulatory setting like they do in the ED and we've got to get all the tests at once? Or are we really saying, hey, let's take a step back and rethink this and do it a step at a time so that, that way we can get to the answer, but in a more efficient manner, both from a cost perspective, but also having some logic and thinking through what's the right next step. So all those things kind of come into the mix here. Hopefully some of these examples are helping, but there's so much more that I do. It's hard to put it together into a soundbite. Well, so we're going to get you to that place because I want you to help me understand the value of all this data that comes out of Quest Diagnostic you know, data sets and how that helps me in a health system better care for patients. And I know Dr. Hilborn is going to be talking about that in a few minutes when we talk about lab stewardship, but you have 55 billion bits of information or whatever the number is. Okay, you're an internist you're taking care of that patient right in front of you, or maybe a large group of patients. Connect the dots for me. Some of my earlier work in my career was really focused around outcomes. How do we improve care metrics? How do we improve outcomes for various diseases? We focused on diabetes, hypertension, heart failure at the time. When it came to care metrics around diabetes, we started seeing 
trends in the community, and this was in Northeast Ohio, where certain populations were getting higher level of care than others. Uh, and so we said, we applied the bright spots concept and said, with those that are getting better care, what's happening? Why is that? And what can we learn from it? And what we learned is from the data, again, if we didn't have the data, we wouldn't been able to do any of this. The data helped us realize that there was a lot of standing orders. There were standardized processes set in place to make sure a standard of care was met. As those were determined, we went back to the data term, where is that happening? How is it being utilized? And then created a broader knowledge set that was shared to the region. Once we did that, what we saw is as more systems adopted the standardized model and we're actually monitoring and evaluating the data to make sure that the model was being followed, uh, everybody else in the region improved up to that system that was a bright spot. When we looked at disparities between individuals of different ethnicities and races or different socioeconomic status, we saw some gaps as well when it came to hypertension outcomes in most of the systems except one. And again, evaluated the data there, figured out what's occurring. It was a multifactorial approach that they had both from a cultural competency, uh, improving conversations, but also uh, around creating a standardized protocol, knowing when to get what test, what order, what drug. And by uh, evaluating that standardized evidence-based model, it not only closed the gap of disparities between various ethnicities and socioeconomic status, it actually improved the outcomes for all people in the region, which I think was something we hadn't really thought would happen, but it did, which was phenomenal. So we talk a lot about predictive analytics, population health, precision medicine, all very cool, all very sexy. What were you looking at? Were you looking at CBCs, hemoglobin A1Cs, colorectal cancer screening, what tests were you looking at when you did this project before? You know, for each of the various disease states, there's different tests that align to it. So, you know, for diabetes, for example, A1C was a big one. We had urine microalbumin and or an ACE or an ARB uh, being involved in that care metric. So there's, depending upon which disease that you're looking at, we would evaluate labs accordingly. And that kind of gets towards more of that lab stewardship, making sure that we've got alignment of the right test for the right disease as we're thinking about monitoring. We don't want to Overutilize a test that's not appropriate, but there's also that element of underutilization where we don't always have the right information needed to provide the right care. You know, there's, if you think about urine albumin creatinine ratios, that's a test that we don't really always see consistently, but that can actually provide a lot of additional insights into better risk stratifying that patient to determine, wait, are they at which level of kidney disease? And then that determines the level of intervention that would be provided by the nephrologists. So just to be clear, by working with you, if I'm a health system executive, I'm able to stratify, prioritize, um, identify, patient populations who are doing well and those who are at risk. Is that correct? That is absolutely correct. And what's great is that with our longitudinal data, if the patient had been at a different health system or a part of a different health plan before, we would actually have some of that information historically that could better risk stratify before having to wait for that next test that you would get the result for. We could actually help expedite or give you some additional information sooner. And we have these models in place now? We do. Okay, great. So I'm going to pivot now and to Dr. Hilborn, who is our senior medical director in health economics and outcomes. He's a known national and international leader in the area of laboratory medicine and pathology, certainly a pioneer, you know, in the area of lab stewardship. Lee, 
Thanks so much for being here today. Can you tell us a little bit about the work that you have done in the area of lab stewardship and choosing wisely and why that's important? We hear a lot about it. Why is it important? How does that improve patient care? Well, great. Thanks, Dr. Elijah. It's a pleasure to be here with you and uh, Dr. Wahid to discuss this really important issue. Let's start with choosing wisely since you focused on that and what choosing wisely is. Just to be clear, choosing wisely is a program of the American Board of Internal Medicine Foundation. There's a large number now of medical specialty societies that are involved. One of the original group was the American Society for Clinical Pathology, the organization for which I am past president and am currently the chair of our task force that is the key representative for laboratory medicine to focus on these issues. Choosing wisely generally focuses on what not to do and then engages physicians, patients, and laboratorians in trying to determine what the right tests are or more importantly about not doing the, uh, the wrong tests. ASCP and our, our internal group refocused that along the lines of what Rahan just said about really what's right for patients, doing the right test at the right time uh, for the right patient. And so we actually renamed our organization the Effective Test Utilization Subcommittee. And uh, what that aimed to do was to say, yes, we think overuse is a big problem, but so is underuse and misuse. And so how can we as a team provide better guidance to our clinicians and our patients about any number of tests to make sure that they get the right thing at the right time. And so that's what the organization has been doing. We've covered all kinds of different testing, whether it's uh, you know biopsies or molecular tests, uh, COVID tests, et cetera. And again, whenever there's an opportunity to recommend an alternative, we, we do that. So we don't just say, don't do this, but you should consider doing that instead. That's the main focus for our effective test utilization group. But one of the things that Quest Diagnostics has done, for example, has been to internalize a lot of those recommendations into our lab stewardship platform. So that in fact, that these nationally recognized and peer reviewed recommendations then get incorporated into our laboratory stewardship program. So really it's about doing the right thing about how do we help laboratorians better lead clinicians in terms of the right tests, how to uh, eliminate inappropriate use while encouraging the right thing. So I think you've made an interesting point. You know, laboratorians, uh, pathologists are moving from a role where they were primarily, I'd say, supportive, you know, in a, in a genius way, supportive, you know, for the clinicians by providing tests and interpretation of tests. Now we're talking more about leadership in laboratory medicine, helping the doctors understand systemness, if you will, where you're underutilizing or overutilizing your test menu relative to your peers. Let's look at, if you would, please, the area of overutilization of tests. Can you help frame some of the tests that might be overutilized in a hospital setting? There's a number of, uh, all kinds of tests could be overutilized. Some of them are sort of passive neglect. That is to say, they're standing orders for tests, daily CBCs, daily chem panels, et cetera. And those generally lead to overordering if there's not an explicit assessment about the continued appropriateness of those testing. I remember one of my very first positions out of residency was at a public hospital. 
And I remember looking at the, um, our profile of test utilization and we had huge numbers of inpatient cholesterol tests. And there's very few indications for inpatient cholesterol tests. And, and so I really did what Joint Commission would call that tracer methodology. And I looked at these results and went back to figure out what happened. Well, sure enough, what happened was that nobody had ordered that, that the physician or the resident had ordered something called chem panel without being explicit. And at the time we had handwritten orders. The uh, unit secretary didn't know what the result was and what that order was. And so to them, there was a test menu item that was called chemistry test or chemistry panel. And it meant call up the chemistry panel and check all the boxes. Well, as soon as we changed those definitions, all of a sudden daily cholesterols, in fact, cholesterols almost entirely went away. So I think the point here, Pat, is that in terms of overuse of tests, even amongst the common tests, that it's pretty pervasive if you don't look at what you're doing. There's certainly those other kinds of tests, some of the genetic tests that might be once in a lifetime tests that get reordered because patients go to different clinicians and they don't necessarily know what's happened before. And so it's easier, for example, to order that cystic fibrosis test again, when in fact the information about that patient genetically was already known. So I see Dr. Wahid nodding, yeah. because he's nodding as someone who's experienced this as a clinician on the floor and clearly creating order sets with uh, the Cerner group. Rahan, you wanna to speak to that a little bit? Yeah, I mean, I've had experience with uh, several EMRs, the, the legacy EMR at the VA, Epic, Cerner, others. The stuff that resonated with me a lot as Lee was talking is just that story, right? So he started off with data that said, hey, there's a high level of cholesterol testing being done that doesn't make any sense. And from there, there was some investigation to figure out well, why is that? And some conversations that led to additional insights, or you could call it, you know, as a lean six sigma black belt, it's kind of like that five why or that root cause analysis. Why is this actually happening? Let's not make an assumption about a individual being bad. Let's go figure out what the process is, what's occurring from a systems perspective, which you know, Lee called out. And I think it's really important that we need to start thinking about that collectively. I know we haven't really talked about it in this setting, or it wasn't necessarily part of the conversation, but a lot of this can lead to burnout as well, right? So if we're thinking about the wrong stuff getting ordered, information overload of all these additional tests coming through, there's an element of burnout in here as well that we have to keep in mind as we're designing these systems and making sure when we're doing some analysis to say, why are these levels high? You know, if you go to the clinicians and start blaming them rather than taking an investigative approach or an inquisitive approach to say, help me understand what you're going through, right? That the response from the clinicians will be very different. You're coming to learn from me rather than criticize me. If you're criticizing me, that, that impact adds to my burnout, right? So I'm added to stress. I'm already trying to do everything I can. Now the system's trying to make improvements and I've got additional stress because of how it was managed. But I think Lee really talked about it in a great way of being inquisitive, asking questions, trying to understand, and then trying to fix the system um, and rather than blaming an individual of, of a broken process. So you bring up a very interesting point, and I want to ask this question to both of you. Doctors love being told what to do by people who are non-doctors, but also they certainly love being told what to do by people who are doctors. Change management is you know, the overarching issue here. 
how do we get our colleagues to adjust to lab stewardship, prudent testing, and also using these analytics in their decision-making? And Lee, I'm gonna start with you because I know that you've worked as a chief medical officer in a hospital. And Rahan, I know you've worked in executive positions in a hospital. How do we become prudent stewards of limited resources when we're talking about laboratory medicine? Sure. And I think that's a great question, Pat. As you pointed out, I, I was associate director for UCLA Health for a number of years in the role that would now be called the chief medical officer, most likely. One of the things that I did was harness data. And I think when you talk about lab stewardship, I think from a healthcare system or organization, it's really important to talk about general stewardship in the delivery of healthcare and not just laboratory. And so my role was certainly much broader. And what I found then and what I find now is that the challenge is to provide meaningful, credible data to clinicians. And then when you identify something that doesn't make sense, I think the way you approach it is exactly the way that Rahan, Rahan mentioned was that um, help me understand. So it's not like I'm pointing the finger at you. You know, you did this wrong. Tell me why you screwed up but rather in a more um, collegial fashion, I mean, I don't understand. I may not understand, right? And, and so I think that those are the things that, that, and the way that one approaches it. When we talk about things about lab testing, there may be really good reasons why a clinician is ordering some tests. And they may be correct, they may be wrong, but before you jump to the conclusion they're wrong, what you have are data. And I think the power in lab stewardship and the analytics profiles or platforms that, that we have provide the data to launch that discussion. They're not conclusive in themselves, but they provide the data on which to engage the discussion. And I think, you know, as you said, that our colleagues don't want to be told what to do. And the best way to avoid doing that while still negotiating to what should be done is to present the data and then ask the question, I'm not understanding why this is happening. Can you help me? And often what happens is the, the light goes on and says, gosh, did I, I didn't really recognize that I was doing this. Let me figure out why and make a change. So inquiry first before providing any direction. Dr. Waheed, what are your thoughts? Change management is the overarching theme here. And change management using data analytics you're the chief medical officer. You say, wow, I know I'm right. Dr. Lage is using too many tests here. I got to bring him into the office and, you know, break his thumbs or whatever. How do you have that conversation? Um, I usually bring that somebody else with me to do the thumb breaking, but no. Uh, <laughs> so for me, a lot of that is trying to understand who you're talking to. Each physician uh, that you talk to will or at least organization-wise, there's different cultures of what motivates people. There'll be some organizations that are truly driven by quality numbers, and they don't necessarily care as much about revenue. Others are very focused on revenue just as much as they are on quality. So knowing your clinician, your audience that you're talking to makes a big difference in that conversation because you want to align your goals. You want to make sure we've got a shared vision of where we're headed. What is that shared outcome in mind? And typically within lab stewardship, it's not one or the other. It's wanting to make sure you've got high quality care, as Lee said, right care for the right patient at the right time. But you also are trying to do it in a manner to avoid unnecessary spend. 
trying to avoid a necessary cost uh, to both the system as well as the patient, which uh, again, gets back to the, the right thing to do. And so how you frame it makes it easier for that conversation to happen. Some you'll wanna talk about it from a financial perspective, some it's a quality perspective, some it might be a, a, a lifestyle or an outcome perspective or a time perspective. It just depends on who your audience is when it comes to a change management piece. And then once you're aligned and yes, we're all trying to get there, then being open to a discussion of what's the best way. And you know that goes back and forth and you might think you have the right answer, maybe you do. But many times what happens in that conversation if you go in open-minded is new ideas appear. And those new ideas are what's really powerful because they might come up with something that you hadn't even thought of and that could end up being even better. Uh, and so if you align early and then kind of leave it up for brainstorming and discussion and kind of work towards that common goal, it's, it's a really powerful culture to create. So what I'm hearing is you know, not only analytics driven patient care, but analytics driven you know, physician care. And, and I think that it's critically important, you know, because to your point about burnout, you know, our colleagues on the front lines are under lots and lots of pressures to do lots of different things for many different stakeholders. And really, I think that what we're talking about is keeping the patient at the center of all these discussions and working very closely with our laboratory colleagues and our bioinformatic colleagues to help us better understand, you know, not only large scale patient needs, but also most importantly, I'd say the patient that's right in front of us. So I think, does that summarize where we are so far? The one thing I would add is, you know, Lee made a comment about systems again. I think when we think about bioinformatics and clinical informatics, there's a lot more technology and systems in place now as compared to before. And when we think of order sets and what's presented to clinicians, there are ways to nudge people into doing the right thing or making that easier. And then there's this also concept of sludge. How do you make the wrong thing harder to do? Using nudging and sludging uh, when it comes to designing the workflows and order sets can be really beneficial in making it easier for clinicians to go down the right path and hopefully make their lives easier and reduce their workload and stress. So I think that, you know, when I'm going to ask you here in a minute, you know, what, what your three take-home points are, what people are going to talk about, you know, later on today or tomorrow after they listen to Dr. Lahid and Dr. Hilborn, I'm going to you know, remember nudging and sludging. That's going to be my take-home. I, I love it. So Dr. Hilborn, uh, do you think that we've kind of encapsulated what the work that you're doing in laboratory stewardship and choosing wisely? I think we've touched on it, Pat. And there's obviously a lot more dialogue that needs to happen that we need to engage amongst our health systems and amongst our laboratory colleagues to show that leadership. And as we put together systems programs where the laboratory is leading, I would encourage everybody to come together and look at, at who needs to help with this. And there are probably people within the organization that maybe some laboratorians have never thought of engaging with. The case managers, the utilization managers, the clinical documentation improvement specialists, for example, in a health system, they're all working on getting better information because that better information will drive better decisions. I thought about that when Rahan was mentioning really about 
the systems are more robust. Well, they are more robust if we do what needs to be done to really integrate them better to drive those appropriate decisions. So I think we have touched on it. We did a paper to review laboratory stewardship and practical laboratory medicine just a couple months ago. It's open and available if people want to retrieve it. But I would suggest that we've started the dialogue, not ended it. Okay, so in preparation for your three great take-home points for the audience, I want to begin to thank the audience for the time. You've had the opportunity to listen to two great leaders in medicine, two of my favorite colleagues at uh, Quest, and you know they represent, I think, what we see as the best of Quest. So, Rahan, we're going to lead off with you, since you're the junior fellow on the call, and certainly end with the more senior fellow. Rahan, what are the three take-home points for us? A lot of this probably resonates to those that have had any form of lean and Six Sigma training, but I would say start with the outcome in mind. Make sure it's a shared outcome of where we want to head as an organization. Then let's make sure we've got a lot of data. And that leads to spending time cleaning it and understanding it and gleaning insights of what's actually occurring and also having mechanisms to be able to track it over time. Because it's not a one-time thing with data, but it's making sure that as you make interventions, you're able to monitor and measure to know whether an improvement is happening or not and making adjustments along the way. And I think the final piece is really this concept of lab stewardship isn't just that narrow. It's really about creating a new way of thinking within your organization, really stepping back and saying, what's the right thing to do for the right patient at the right time? How do we leverage these tools? How do we create systems? How do we have some of these challenging conversations? And for all of that, sometimes we can do it ourselves as an organization, but many times we need help. And having that help makes it so much easier when we know others who have done it before us or have had built systems to make it easier so we don't have to recreate the wheel, as they say, every single time we're going down this journey. So think of it as a journey, know where we're headed and get help as you need to. Great. Uh, Rahan, thank you so much. Dr. Hilborn, you want to close us out? Bring us home. Sure. I think uh, just a couple of key points. I'll keep it simple. Number one, this is doable. And as we know, the laboratory has more objective data than any other part of healthcare. So it's a real opportunity for us. And this Second point, really, this really is the practice of pathology in laboratory medicine. So I think it's not just something that we should think about doing. We have a responsibility to leverage data and provide insights back to all the people who use our data. And the third point, which I touched on before, really, is this is really an opportunity for laboratorians to exercise leadership within their organizations and their communities to drive the change that we all want to see. Terrific. I can't thank you all enough, uh, Dr. Waheed, Dr. Hilborn, for an engaging conversation. I'd also like to say that having come out of the health system, I never thought that having a pathologist or a laboratory in the C-suite was necessary, but having worked here with some great people at Quest for the past several years, I think adding a laboratorian to the uh, C-suite is a great way of thinking. What you all have provided is a perspective on analytics and data as it pertains to patient care, not only with the individual, but certainly on a larger health system. And I can't thank you all enough for that. Once again, I want to thank the audience for listening to the best of Quest. I just wanted to thank, again, Dr. Rahan Wahid and Dr. Lee Hilborn for your insights on the use of bioinformatics, lab stewardship, and analytics in providing better patient care. Thank you all so much.
Thank you for having us. That's it for this episode of the Diagnostic Dialogues. We hope you enjoyed the show. Please follow us on your favorite podcast apps and follow us on LinkedIn for more cutting edge content and to engage with the physician guests from the program. Be sure to visit our site, questdialogues.com. Until next time. Thank you.